So we're in Luke chapter 5. We're continuing on from this uh, study that we've been working through for quite a while now. And uh, this week, um, I heard news that an eight-month-old nephew of friends of ours uh, just found out that he has leukemia. Uh, which means right now, even as we sit here this morning, this family is facing this scary reality. And I don't presume to know what they are experiencing, but I can only imagine that they are, uh, the, the waves of disbelief and worry are just washing through their minds. I can only imagine that surges of panic and desperation are just lapping over their hearts. And as I think about this family and the potentially long road ahead, it just strikes me that they are a people in need of the power of Jesus Christ. Another good friend of mine uh, is struggling with drug addiction, the effects of which have just turned all facets of his life upside down. This addiction is systematically tearing his life apart, ripping him down into the lowest places of life, and emotionally just beating him up. And as I think about this particular friend, it strikes me that he is so desperately in need of the power of Jesus Christ. This week was a a rough one for me personally. Nothing major happened, nothing like what I just described. It just was one of those weeks where it felt like I had this black cloud hanging over my head. You know what I'm talking about? It's one of those weeks from my car having problems to my laptop frying. It just felt like every little detail that was going to go wrong did. And I found myself oftentimes throughout the week crying out to God with this awareness of how desperately I need the power of God, the power of Jesus at work in my day-to-day, moment-to-moment life. And as I look out even into this crowd, I'm so aware that even though I only know small bits of what some of you are facing, that some of you sit here in crisis this morning. Some of you are spending long days in hospital rooms alongside loved ones. Some of you sit here with broken hearts mourning the passing of someone special. Others of you feel the, the shame of sin just pressing down upon you. Uh, like a lead weight on your soul. And still, I know others of you are overworked, you are tired, you are in need of rest. Still, others of you in the room may not be facing some life-altering catastrophe, but like my week, circumstances just seem to be fitting together in such a way that you are acutely aware of how deeply you need the power of Jesus Christ employed in your life. In the common routine... And in crisis, we are people who need the power of Jesus Christ. Well, our text for today features two men. Uh, one of them is uh, a leper. He's, he has leprosy. The other one is paralyzed. These two men are desperate. They are urgently in need of the power of Jesus Christ, just like you and I. And though their circumstances appear dire, their situation is not hopeless. Because Standing before them is, is the one, Jesus Christ, the one who has the power to help them in their time of need. As we look at this interaction, this first interaction between Jesus and the man with leprosy, we will see that Jesus reveals to us that he has the power to meet our temporal needs. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. Turn there with me. 
Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus has the power to meet our temporal needs. It is clear from the Bible that Jesus is able. He has the power. He is capable of miraculously affecting this physical world in which we live. He is a Savior who commands winds and waves. He is a God who turns water into wine. He is a man that multiplies loaves and fishes. He gives sight to the blind. He puts breath in lungs that were breathless, that were, that were dead. He causes cold, lifeless hearts to pump again with life. This text is one more example of the limitless power, his ability to help us in this life. The scene is set. It's uh, in one of the Galilean cities in which Jesus has traveled. Uh, Jesus is there and he is approached by this man with leprosy. Now the word leprosy as uh, used in the Bible is a much broader, more general word than what we're used to. Oftentimes when we think of leprosy, uh, we think of the infectious disease that's often uh, also called Hansen's disease, uh, which if left untreated uh, could result in skin lesions and deformities and disfigurements. Uh, and that very well may have been what this man was afflicted with. Uh, but we don't really know for sure. Because that word is used broadly in the Bible and it refers to a broad array, uh, array of uh, infectious skin diseases. What we do know is that this man did have a serious disease. The the text says in verse 12, he was full of leprosy, which placed him in a desperate spot on many levels. He not only certainly endured physical pain from suffering through this disease, but he would also have endured emotional, psychological pain from the disease. Uh, Leviticus chapter 11, uh, 11 to 14 provides part of the purity code section of the Mosaic Law. And the law is clear that as unclean, a leper was to be quarantined. Only allowed, uh, only reaccepted into normal social structures, into society again, once the disease, disease had passed, if it would. And then after they had been uh, examined by a priest and, and, and deemed clean again, able to go back into society. So they would have been living outside of town, this guy. People would have been bringing him food, all the while just making sure that they weren't getting too close. And the purpose of marginalizing a leper was not to belittle or to devalue him or her. But it was out of this concern for public health so that no one else would have contracted one of these highly contagious diseases. More importantly, however, we also know that this distinction of being clean or unclean according to the law was a big piece of social and religious life. To be unclean meant you could not enter the temple. You could not participate in the community of faith. 
Uncleanness was often also associated with sin. To be unclean meant you could not interact with others. You couldn't uh, take part in normal day-to-day commerce or just do normal social things. So this man as an unclean leper meant he suffered physically. It meant that he was excluded socially. It meant that he was isolated emotionally. And it meant that he carried around this stigma religiously. This man is in need. And so he approaches Jesus. And remember, for this guy to approach Jesus was such a social no-no. He's unclean. He has a contagious disease. Yet he recognizes, despite social convention, despite what the law said, that Jesus had the power to help. Any inkling of this guy regaining normalcy in life depended wholly upon Jesus Christ. And here we find a simple truth that will transform your life. Chances are you already know it. Chances are you've learned it. But hear it again and know it in your heart. Guys, Jesus is able. He's able. He has the power. He is able to help. And so this man fittingly approaches Jesus, and what we, what we see ensuing is this emotional scene, right? It says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. The simple fact that this man humbly falls before Jesus, evidences this belief that he believed, he, he, he thought Jesus was able, Jesus could actually help him in a real, in a tangible way. But we don't need to construct this theology about Jesus' omnipotence based on one man's beliefs. Because Jesus most obviously displays His power to meet temporal needs through healing this man of his leprosy. Jesus' actions legitimize the leper's belief that Jesus was able to do this thing. Let me read verse 13 again, and please don't pass this over. Imagine you're there. The leper, the social outcast, he falls at the feet of Jesus Christ. He begs Him to be made clean. And then, according to verse 13, Jesus stretched out His hand and He touched Him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left Him. Guys, Jesus is able to make the unclean clean with a word and with a touch. And let me just add that He could have just done it with a word like we see take place in Luke chapter 9 when the centurion seeks out Jesus and says, Lord, my servant's sick. Say the word and he'll be healed. And with a word from Jesus Christ, this man is restored to full health. But here He also touches him, which is such a meaningful, noteworthy gesture. Imagine, presumably, this leper. This man has not felt human touch in a very long time. Not a hug. Not a handshake. Not a pat on the back. Not an arm around his shoulder. Nothing. He is love-starved. And Jesus steps over this social boundary, touches him, That simple act would have made Jesus ritually unclean Himself. And it would have also put Him physically at risk 
from contracting the same contagious disease, yet exactly the opposite happens, doesn't it? Rather than this unclean man passing his uncleanness on to Jesus, the leper is washed clean by the purity of Jesus Christ. This, it's this ma- amazing redemptive act of love. I mean, can you believe that with a word and with a touch? Jesus changes this man's whole life. The remainder of his time on earth, as far as we know, it just got radically altered by the power of Jesus Christ exercised in that one moment. No longer is he an outcast. No longer is he physically ill. No longer is he excluded from the community of faith or from society in general. Jesus Christ is able, he is able to do things like this. He has the power to meet our temporal needs. And this power that lovingly swept this sickness from this man's skin is the same power of the same Lord available and at work in you today. So let me ask, are you mindful that Jesus is able, he is, that He is truly able to meet your temporal needs, your earthly needs, in a real way? Whatever crisis you're in, whatever scenario is challenging you, even now, as, as, as you're thinking through, I'm sure something is in your mind. Some challenge, some life issue. Are you aware, are you mindful that Jesus is able to enter into that situation to help you, to rescue you, to deliver you? He is able. You may not have leprosy. You probably don't. I sure hope you don't have leprosy today. That would not be good. Uh, you may not have an eight-month-old with cancer. You may not have an out-of-control drug addiction. You may not even just be coming out of a regular run-of-the-mill sort of down week. But you live in a world full of sin and full of sinners. And you need the power of Jesus Christ at work in your life. Won't you recognize His ability to help and then rest in the gentle and tender care that only He can powerfully provide? Jesus is able. But guys, there's a caveat. Jesus is able, but He has to be willing. Look at verse 12. While He was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What does the leper say? He says, if you will, you can make me clean. He recognizes the ability, the power. He recognizes that Jesus is able, but he knows that he's got to be willing. This is a conditional statement. There's conditionality here. There's contingency Here, healing is dependent upon it being Jesus' will, within the will of God to provide this healing miracle. That's further emphasized by the way Jesus Jesus answers. He says, I will be clean. The cleansing happens because Jesus is not only able, but because He is willing. The leper was cleansed because Jesus was not only able, but because His healing was in line with the will of God. So what does that mean for us? Well, frankly, it means that since God's will does not always line up with our will, God will not always meet our temporal needs in the way that we want Him to. 
Instead, he has a plan that we don't always see or understand, yet is far greater. And sometimes his plan includes abstaining from the miraculous in order to advance his kingdom or accomplish his mission in some way that we may never even realize here in this life. Jesus is able, but he must be willing. So plead with God, pray to God, but understand that this miraculous intervention that you are praying for may not be God's will. Now, I have firsthand experience with this hard truth. And uh, so many of you uh, already know the, the, the family background that my wife Krista and I have and um, have heard these stories before, but I, I think they illustrate this idea clearly. So, sorry if you're hearing it again. Hopefully, it's helpful. Um, back in 2007, Krista's dad was um, diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis in both lungs. Uh, he was carrying around this oxygen tank, and uh, his, his health was just rapidly declining. They lived on a third-floor apartment. They had to move apartments because he didn't have the breath to climb the stairs any longer. He was desperately in need of a double lung transplant. Uh, and so um, when the doctors uh, addressed him with that issue, saying, you're going to need a transplant, they said, however, um, once we put you on the list, it's going to take 18 months for you to get one at, at the earliest, and we're only giving you six months to live. So there was this major, uh, major problem happening here with his health. In response, family, friends, church family all banded together. We got on our knees and prayed like I have never seen a church family pray before, pleading with God to intervene, to exercise his power to save him. He got the notification that he got put on the transplant list the next day. Not even a full 24 hours, he gets a call from the hospital to come in. So the way it works, um, they call three families, three people who are in need of a transplant. All three show up. Whoever's the best fit for the lungs gets the lungs. So they live out in Western Mass. They get in their car. They drive to the Brigham here in Boston. They start driving. Their car breaks down. This is time sensitive. They have to get there in time. Their car breaks down. They're on the side of the road thinking, oh man, should we, should we continue on? I don't even know. Should we just go home? Is it going to be too late? We'll never get there in time. As they're thinking that through, his oxygen tank is basically empty and he can't breathe. So they call an ambulance. The ambulance gets there, gives him oxygen, determines, no, we're going to try and get you to the hospital. The, the ambulance picks him up. They're racing down the road to the hospital. It turns out there was a huge traffic jam further down the Mass Pike. If their car hadn't broken down, if he hadn't run out of, uh, of oxygen and gotten an ambulance, they never would have made it through the traffic jam to the hospital. They get to the hospital. He is a perfect match for the lungs. He gets the lung transplant. They say it would buy him five years. We're going on year eight. And he's healthy He's doing great. He's pastoring a church in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. This amazing testimony of God miraculously, powerfully interceding into his crisis and helping. In contrast, this time last year, my dad was renovating my parents' basement. He was turning their basement into a movie room for his grandkids, and he started having chest pains. He comes upstairs. Uh, later on, my mom, who's a nurse, found him blue on the floor 
She does CPR. She calls uh, the paramedics. They bring him to the hospital. For 10 days, he's in the hospital. People are praying. Same scenario. Many of you praying your hearts out. Praying, praying, praying. Asking God for healing. To to show His power. To help. To save. And on the 10th day, my dad passed away. Now why did the same God, the same powerful, good, loving, merciful God Save Krista's dad, but allow my dad to pass away. I do not know. But I can tell you that Jesus' ways are better, that his understanding is higher. Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9 says this For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so I can say, Lord, you chose not to work the miracle I had been praying for, not to save my dad, because you understand something that I don't. Because your ways are higher than mine. And there is purpose in this. doesn't mean my heart doesn't ache when I think about my dad. But it does mean I have peace. Knowing that Jesus will powerfully, he's powerfully in control even when his will does not line up with mine. He is able, but he has to be willing. What you and I have to work out in our own hearts and minds is will we trust him? Will we submit to him and not have our faith crushed when God's will does not line up with our will, when he doesn't answer in the way that we want, when he doesn't exercise his power the way we would have him exercise his power. And I know that's easier said than done, but those moments when your faith rubs up against the hard things of life, it's good for the growth of your faith, for your maturity, for your sanctification, because those moments of desperate need provide you with this opportunity to see how faithful and how powerful God is in bringing about His own will in your life and in this world. Well, Luke advances the narrative. He tells the leper to tell no one. It wasn't yet time to fully reveal himself. He tells the man to then go see a priest uh, to be inspected according to the law so that he can be reintroduced into normal society. Jesus is a law keeper. He's operating within the Mosaic law here. But he also wants this man to be able to return to his family and his friends and his loved one and to the community. Uh, so he tells him, see a priest. He's going to verify your cleanness. He'll, he'll, he'll say you're good to go and, and there you are. Your life is back. And though the, he tells the leper not to say anything, word gets out. Right? People hear about what Jesus is doing. All of a sudden, Jesus is just flooded with all of these people who are eager to have their loved ones healed. And he's dealing with all of that. And then this particular text ends with Jesus retreating off to get alone time with God so that he can pray to the Father. Jesus is so dependent upon the Father that as his kingdom is breaking into this world, even in the midst of this remarkable, unprecedented ministry, He makes it a point to get alone, to be in a quiet place, and have quality time with His Father. Well, in healing the leper, Jesus proves that He has the power to meet our temporal needs. But in His interactions with this paralyzed man, we see that He has the power to meet our eternal needs. 
Jesus has the power to meet our eternal needs. Look at verse 17 and following. Luke 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the crowd or into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus is teaching. And all of these uh, various Jewish religious leaders have heard the word about Jesus. Pharisees, teachers of the law, are coming from all over the place. And here they are, sitting, listening to him teach. And uh, Luke really sets us up for what's about to happen with this really interesting sentence. He says, And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. God's power is with and working through Jesus. And with that in mind, Luke then shifts attention back to the narrative, back to the scene of what's happening in that space where Jesus is teaching this crowd, uh, where his power to heal is once again going to just be on display for the world to see. So this group of men want to bring their crippled friend to Jesus. Uh, but the crowd is so dense, they just can't find a way to carve through all the people to get their friend to Jesus. So they get creative. And uh, like the leopard, this man clearly has a very obvious physical need. He is paralyzed. He has a real life, real world need. And they know they need to get him to the one who can help to Jesus. So they climb up on the roof and they start taking apart the roof and they dig a hole through the roof and the ceiling and they lower him down into the midst of the crowd so there he is right before Jesus and uh, whenever i think of, whenever i read this passage i always think of mission impossible and it's kind of hard not to right when when tom cruise is just comes right down from the ceiling to steal some computer files or something and he's just hanging there and um, i always think of that and that's sort of what's happening here and you can imagine the scene Uh, They're listening to Jesus teach. They hear a pitter-patter of steps on the roof. All of a sudden, they're digging out this hole in the ceiling, and down comes this man. And I can only imagine that in that moment, everyone's looking around just, what is is this? What's happening? And then all eyes shoot to Jesus. What's he going to say to this? What's he going to do? How's he going to respond to this? Well, Jesus' response is rather unpredictable, isn't it? Verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. He displays 
Uh, he sees this, uh, he, this happen and he discerns it to be this act of faith. And he forgives the man's sin. Now we can only assume that when those guys are climbing the rooftop and Jimmy rigging something to get this guy down to Jesus, that they were expecting Jesus to heal his body. Right? They were looking for physical healing. Yet Jesus identifies that this man, as much as he suffered physically, had a bigger problem. Sin. Rather than address this peripheral issue of paralysis, as major a life thing as that would be, he instead addresses the primary issue of unforgiven sin. What we see here is that Jesus' power to meet our needs goes light years beyond the problems, the issues that we experience here in this life. You see, according to Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin disqualifies us from spending eternity in wonderful relationship with Him. And when Jesus proclaims that this man's sins are forgiven, He's accomplishing in this paralyzed man's heart what He just accomplished on the leper's body. He cleanses his heart from sin. Now I hope that you recognize, regardless of what is happening in your life, as major as it may be, as all-consuming of your thoughts and your heart affections as it may be, nothing, nothing, nothing of this world is your greatest enemy or your most threatening problem. Your sinful heart is. And please know that only Jesus has the power to make those who are enemies of God His friends, to make filthy hearts pure, and to wash our sins away. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes this beautiful letter to to the church in the city of Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read this. Ephesians 2, 1-7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, once, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's true, isn't it? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When you skip down to verse 13, we read, but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus has the power to save us from our sins. And Luke places these two narratives together. The the leper and the paralytic, he places them together so masterfully so that as readers we see this escalation of Jesus' power. From the first miracle to the second, how far Jesus' power really extends. In the first, He meets an earthly need by healing a body. In the second, He meets an eternal need by healing the heart. 
we are getting this clear picture of why Jesus' life, why His ministry, why they're so, why it's so important, so meaningful for us. He's not only here to help us in this life. He certainly does that according to His will. But He's not only here to help us here and now. He's, help, he's here to help us in eternity, into eternity. Through forgiving our sins, through washing our hearts clean. So our real enemy is sin. Our most urgent need is forgiveness from that sin. And Jesus, and only Jesus, is able to forgive. And please know that like these temporal concerns that He addresses according to His will, remember He's able, uh, but He's got to be willing. He also addresses this great eternal concern according to His will. And Scripture tells us that it is always... God's will to forgive, to wash clean the person who turns to Jesus. Romans chapter 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and in Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus has the power to meet your eternal need. He will do so by forgiving your sin, by washing your black, sinful heart clean and pure if you would only call on Jesus Christ. Well, the Pharisees uh, hear Jesus' response and it's all coming through this theological filter for them, right? They understand the law and they understand that when he claims to have forgiven this man's sins, he's making this major theological statement that he is God. Only God's able to forgive sins. And they have a problem with that. And in their hearts, as we read, these two vital questions pop up. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? And who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, blasphemy is this act of insulting God. It is showing disdain for God. Uh, But it's only blasphemy if Jesus isn't God, right? If He really doesn't have the power to forgive sins after all. So when the Pharisees ask this question in their hearts, it's revealing that they are questioning Jesus' identity. They are questioning His ability to actually save people from their sin. And Jesus' response to their suspicious hearts and their suspicious minds only further validates His power. Verse 22, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately He rose up before them picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus knows in their hearts and in their minds that they're questioning him. And he questions them right back. He says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk? Now obviously from the perspective of the crowd, it is much easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Because there's no tangible, they can't see any tangible results that uh, that statement produced any sort of actual fruit or, or that it came to pass at all. 
So to, but to cause a paralytic to walk would have been astounding. It would have been much more difficult from this crowd's point of view. So in light of that, to prove he has the power and the authority to forgive sins, he forgives the man's body. Or he, he, he heals the man's body. Heals him from his uh, paralysis. Verse 22 introduces this purpose clause. It shows us Jesus' purpose for healing the paralyzed man. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man. It's this messianic title. It's like calling Himself the, the perfect Adam. Uh, which comes right out of Daniel chapter 7. And then he proves that he has the power to forgive sins by showcasing his power to heal the body. The visible substantiates the invisible. And in giving the paralytic his legs, he proves to the crowd that he does have authority to forgive sinners. The result of which is people just leaving, praising, amazed, awestruck, glorifying God. In fact, when the crowd leaves, saying we have seen extraordinary things today. That word extraordinary comes from the Greek word paradoxa, uh, from which we derive the English word paradox. It's as if they were saying they, they had just witnessed these paradoxical, uh, astounding, unexplainable, unexpected things as they're there witnessing Jesus' power on display firsthand. And it's important for you guys to leave here today Knowing that Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior, is so profoundly powerful that He is able to miraculously help you here and now in tangible ways, which He will according to His will. But more importantly, He has the authority and He has the power to restore the relationship that your sin has broken, to wash your sinful heart clean, to help you in eternity. So though these miracles reveal that Jesus has the power to meet our temporal needs and that Jesus has the power to meet our eternal needs, uh, we also learn that Jesus exercises His power in response to faith. And isn't that the model that's provided here in these two texts? Uh, that in accordance with His will, Jesus will respond to the faithful. Theologian Wayne Grudem defines faith this way. Faith is trust or dependence on God based on the fact that we take Him at His word and believe what He has said. Trust or dependence on God based on the fact that we take Him at His word and believe what He has said. Faith is a matter of really believing that something is true and then acting on it. That's exactly what the leper and the paralyzed man have done. That's exactly what they've demonstrated. They're acting out of trust, having placed full confidence in Jesus Christ. In verse 12 we read, uh, There came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. It's this act of contrite faith. Uh, it's entirely appropriate here. Even as we follow the verbiage, it says he came, he saw, he fell down. And he begged because he had faith that Jesus was powerful to heal. Likewise, we read in verses 18-20, to 20, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. These men obviously had heard about Jesus and they truly believed 
that he could help. So uh, they, they carry out this, I mean, to the point of carrying out this crazy stop-at-nothing scheme that included scaling walls and ripping through a roof. And Jesus agrees, concluding that this was, in fact, an act of faith. And Jesus responds to these two faithful men with tremendous demonstrations of helping, healing power. He responds to the leper's faith. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He responds to the paralytic. Man, your sins are forgiven you. You see, when unclean people in need of healing desire Jesus to step into their situation and radically change things for them, it is wrong to approach Jesus with anything but faith. Not pride, not disbelief, not uncertainty, but faith. Truthfully, Jesus, he owed these men nothing. He had no obligation to them to to heal them, to, to do what they were asking. So falling prostrate at his feet, going to the great lengths of climbing a building and, and, and tearing through a roof, those were appropriate postures. Those were appropriate actions based on this heart that was brimming and overflowing with trust and faith and confidence in Christ. How often, however, do we come to the Lord in need with this attitude of doubt? With this attitude of entitlement sometimes, as if He owed it to us. As if we were deserving of Him to answer our prayers in the way that we want Him to. With this disbelief that Jesus could actually do anything at all. Let us not be a people with weak, insufficient understandings of Jesus' power. Let us not be a people who draw near to Him in apathy or timidly. Let us be a people who come to the Lord full of faith. Those who approach Jesus knowing their need, asking for help in faith, receive mercy and grace. It may not go the way you want it to. It may not look the way you want it to look, but you will receive mercy and grace from God. So have faith in the powerful one. Here's one step you can all take this week. Since Jesus is our Lord, since He died for us, since He saved us from our sins, since He has the power to help us here and now, since we love Him, and since we thank Him, let's follow the example of the leper and the paralyzed man. Seek out Jesus this week. Move toward Him. Incline your heart and your mind. Orient them to Jesus Christ. Let your words and your mouth confess His ability and His Lordship, let this knowledge of His great power drive you to your knees on your face in prayer before Him. Plead with Him for help and submit to His will. Have faith in the powerful. When babies are diagnosed with cancer and drug addictions are out of control, uh, when an average week goes bad in crisis and in everyday circumstances, We are a people who need the power of Jesus Christ employed in our lives. So we are a people who have faith in the powerful one. Have faith in the powerful one. Please pray with me. Father, we love you and we do thank you dearly and desperately for your son. Um, We recognize our great need. 
We recognize our limitations and our fallenness. Uh, We understand that our hearts are full of sin. Yet we thank You that in Jesus, there is power to help. There is power to heal. There is power to make us clean. Father, don't let us forget that. Don't let us become discouraged. Help us. Give us faith in Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that Your will would be done in our lives, in our hearts, in our community. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray all these things in His powerful name we pray. Amen.